0: Let's pray together. Lord, again, we are grateful to be together. Lord, we are grateful for your grace. And even in that last song we had sung, that there's room, and it it's all because of the cross. And we are so grateful that that is a uh, victory. It leads to life. Uh, you lead to life. And so these next few moments that we we spend together in your word, Lord, I pray that you would uh, you would bring us to reach more level in Jesus' name. Um, there's a, a story that I had come across it was quite a number of years ago I would not oh gosh I would hate or I, wouldn't, I, I couldn't even really recollect how long ago it's been and it, it's, a, a, it's a story of a New York columnist who told his story of a time in which he was uh, riding in a, in a taxi cab in New York City with a friend of his and when they had arrived at their stop this, it was Art Buckwold sorry, and Buckwald, uh, and his friend are riding in this cab and once they came to their, to their stop was their stop? Buckwald's friend, uh, on, on getting out, just before getting out of the cab, he says to the cab driver, I want to thank you for the ride. You did a superb job driving this cab. And the cab driver is almost taken back by this, almost stunned, kind of, okay, what is this fellow about? And he says, Like, are you, um, are you serious? Or are you trying to be smart or something here? And uh, this friend of Buckwald he replies back, says, No, not at all. I'm serious. I admire the way you keep your cool in in traffic, in heavy traffic, and not many cab drivers are able to do that. And I'm just so very glad that I rode in your cab today. And so Buckwald and his friend they get out of the cab and they're walking along the sideway and, or sideway, the sidewalk, and Buckwald then asks his friend, he says, Okay. Now, i got to ask you, what was that all about? And uh, and then this fellow, the friend, says, well, I'm trying to bring love back to this city, uh, and I believe that love is the only thing that can save this city. And so Buckwald, he thinks of this, or he ponders this, and then he asks again, or another question, and you think that one man can save New York City. Uh, it's not just one man, my good friend, here. It's, I believe that I just made that taxi driver's day. Now, if that taxi driver has 20 fares, suppose, um, suppose how that may go for him. The, like, 20 fares, those 20 passengers, what if he's kind to them? What if he's nice to them? And, and, and if those 20 people... Um, are nice in turn, kinder to their employees or workmates or colleagues or, or waiters or whomever they come into contact with, that goodwill spreads. And maybe it can spread to at least a thousand people. Now that isn't so bad, is it? Well, the two friends, they kept walking down the sidewalk and, and then Buckwald, as he's thinking about this, he pipes up and he says, it's just that you're depending on that taxi driver to pass your goodwill on to others. Yeah, you know what? That's true. You're right. And maybe that taxi driver is going to pass on goodwill and maybe he won't. Um, But I might also say something nice to 10 other people today. And if out of 10, if I can make three of them happy, then I can indirectly influence the attitudes of about 3,000 people or more. You can't possibly believe that. You know what, Buckwell, that just shows how cynical you've become. Take postal workers, for instance. Um, The reason why so many of them really don't like their work very much is because no one is really telling them that they're doing a good job. Yeah, well, some of them really aren't doing a very good job. That's because they're not doing a good job because they don't believe that anyone cares whether they do or whether they don't. And so now it's like, okay, it's quiet for a bit. They carry on walking down the sidewalk and they come across five construction workers who were on their coffee break. And the friend, he stops and he looks at what's going on. And, he, and then he says to these five men, that is, that is a magnificent building that you're putting together. It must be very difficult and dangerous work. Hats off to you guys. Hats off to you. And when will this job be finished? When will you be done? And the one construction worker says, oh, it's going to be a while. It's not until June. Well, you know what, it's gonna be a gorgeous building when you're done, I can tell that already. Very impressive. So stay stay safe and you have a wonderful day, gentlemen. And off they go. And Buckwald is just walking beside his friend, kind of thinking about all of this, and he says, I still don't think that your belief is going to do any good. Oh, on the contrary. When those workmen digest my words, they're gonna feel so much better about what they're doing and somehow the city's gonna benefit from that. But you can't do this alone. Buckwell, that is the first thing you have said that we both are going to agree on here this afternoon or this morning or whenever it was. But I'm not discouraged because I'm hoping to enlist more into my campaign. Loving on people will make a difference. And the two men, they continued walking down the sidewalk and walking toward them, coming their direction, was a very grumpy looking lady. And Buckwell's friend, he he was... Buckwald's friend was completely undeterred by this and he compliments her. He looks straight into this grumpy lady's looking eyes and he compliments her and he says, madam, you have a lovely scarf. I must get one like that for my wife. She would love it. And ma'am, you have a wonderful day. And the pessimistic Buckwald as they walked away, that was perhaps the grumpiest looking lady I have ever seen. Yeah, yes, good Buckwald, she was certainly that. Uh, but I'll tell you this, if she's a schoolteacher, her class is going to be in for a fantastic day. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you think? What do you think here? Is Buckwald's friend, is he naïve, overly idealistic? And if he is naïve or overly idealistic, would that, wouldn't that be okay anyway? Wouldn't that be alright anyhow? And I wonder how much of an impact can be made on the world by sharing God's love just one person at a time? Can a chain reaction actually be set off that would point to the kingdom of God? I do think this, that a big difference can be made in the lives of people through seemingly small and insignificant things, uh, insignificant acts of kindness. You know, when we read through the Gospels and you see how Jesus took a few loaves and and a few fish and and what he did with all of that, And, and do we believe that God is able to take the things in our lives that appear or feel so large, maybe even ominous to us, and yet do wonderful things through them, perform miracles that can spill over, turning difficulties into something better? Do we believe this? Where those that are, even those around us that we know who rub shoulders with us perhaps will even benefit from the joy that God has placed into our hearts. Do we believe that? I think this is how it goes. I kind of think that this is how Jesus has made or makes, how he makes himself known to the world through seemingly insignificant things or ways filling people so that light spills out of them or shines out of them that falls onto another, onto another person who could really use some light to fade out maybe their own darkness that they feel that is around them. In our Isaiah reading that Sheldon had read, verse two of Isaiah nine, verse two, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of darkness, on them has light shone. And further on in Isaiah, in that very same chapter, we come across those famous prophetical words that we had read during the Advent season, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, his government and its peace will never end. A son is born. A son is given. This was the answer to the darkness problem that was being experienced in Isaiah chapter nine. That light would shine, and that it would come from the sun sent by God. Uh, He would be the light, light that would expose darkness for what it was, so that it could be seen for what it is, and so that those who are ensnared by darkness will no longer be afraid, and they will be able to put their feet know where to put their feet, see where to put their feet when they walk thus no longer be ensnared by darkness and what is darkness well darkness within the context of isaiah was it was really hopelessness there will be no gloom anymore for those in the land of zebulun and the land of naphtali so what was their gloom then that made their world dark that removed them from their or that removed hope from them well, real quick here Zebulun and Naphtali, they were two tribes, two tribes of Jacob or Israel. And where they resided, where they were situated geographically, left them very vulnerable to attack. And as there was this constant turmoil that was going on between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom as they played out their power struggles. Both Zebulun and Naphtali had been more or less made to be subservient to a series of Assyrian kings, and, and both tribes, eventually they were taken into captivity. And so they were a conquered people, uh, and they were subject to the whims and the, to the demands of overlords and, or foreign rulers, and they were powerless with little to no security. And, and all that they had owned were, was taken away from them, and even their own children could be taken away from them, placed into slavery, and every hope that they could have always carried the threat of being stolen away by someone else who was more powerful, uh, who carried the biggest stick, and who had the final say. And this was Israel's darkness. This was the darkness that they lived in. No hope. And now this is not our experience, is it? Slavery Persecution. We don't know anything about that kind of darkness, in that within that context. But darkness can be very personal to us still, and it can come in in so many different other ways too. It can be inner rage or or anger, a bitter spirit. It can be exasperation or desperation over something. Uh, so then, what is the darkness that you deal with? What is it? Do you know what it is? And if darkness is the very thing that steals hope, replacing it with stress or depression and, and the like. What is darkness then for you and I? And of course we're gonna answer that question differently because we're all afflicted by darkness in a different way, but the end means of darkness really is still the same, to rob us of hope, to rob you of hope, to rob me of hope, to defeat and to crush. And so then what is the darkness that makes you anxious? The darkness that frightens you or, or depresses you and stretches your faith in one way or the other? Well, there's good news, isn't there? And, and there's always good news, and the good news is that dar- the darkness is already being overcome. For to us a son is born, and to us a son is given, and to everyone who has known or who knows darkness, there is a great light that shines, and that great light is Jesus himself. And He is among us. And He overcomes all the darkness. And the light that He brings, it carries hope that cannot be taken away, and it cannot be stolen, and it cannot be controlled by another. And that even includes you or I. You see, I kind of think that something which potentially keeps us in the dark is not just the things that grieve us and stress us, but it can be also this, our very own unwillingness to accept that we don't have to be in control to have hope or to have faith. But hope and faith, it's, it's found and, it, and grown in places and through circumstances where really we are the least, we're not in control at all. We feel the least in control and, and hope and faith is given where the steps that we walk, they, they, they look like it's, they look so treacherous and so unstable. But yet when we take those first few steps and find, well, oh, you know, that, that was hard, but it was okay. And the second step, well, that wasn't too bad. And with each step we take, we discover what David discovered when he penned these words from the book of Psalms, Psalm 119. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So your word, your word, O God, is a lamp. The words of God are as a light, a light for my path, light given to me so that I can see where to put my feet, light given to me so that I can discern through things a little more effectively, more accurately, more wisely, in knowing what I must do, where I must go, which isn't always the most easiest thing to do because a choice, when you see which direction you must go, sometimes that requires a choice, and it's a difficult one. But ultimately, the choice is this, to walk in the light or to live in my darkness. In First Corinthians, Paul is addressing a church, a church, a group of believers who were struggling, and, and their strugglings were threat. Were a threat were threatening them. They were threatening to split them, to divide them. And the division that they were experiencing was over a few things, over some basic core faith issues here, um, one being that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And there were some that were questioning that Jesus had risen. And there are some who were given to other kinds of philosophies. So you see ancient Rome or Greece, it was quite a pantheon of religious persuasion that existed in the first century. And to this, Paul implores that there is only one God. And until they would come to terms with that, they would continue to struggle and to fight to have any kind of peace among themselves and even within themselves. And another thing that was creating division too was the cross of Jesus. The cross in the ancient world, in Rome, it was a symbol of defeat and humiliation. And so a crucified Messiah, a crucified Christ was, was hard to accept. Unless the cross is seen and understood differently. Unless it's seen and understood as, as the ultimate symbol of victory. Because the cross didn't end in defeat. The cross led to life. Jesus rose, defeating death. Exposing darkness with his divine holy light. And the cross makes something else very clear, too, that God will always love. He will always make a way for everyone, not just for eternal life, but to be united in close proximity with Him, Him with you and I right now, where darkness begins to fade, because the only thing that seems to matter is Jesus. All that matters is Jesus. Despite suffering, stress, or whatever, all of that becomes a faint shadow in the light of God's glory and grace. But if the cross and resurrection of Jesus are not embraced or seen as love and grace, and as power that overcomes all, then there will be continued hardship, and the shadows of our darkness will then, they will ever linger. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, who do not believe, but to those being saved it is the power of God. And the cross tells us something else that not only gives us hope, but I think it fulfills hope too. And that is, is that you are not alone. You are never alone. That Jesus is risen and he is the overcomer who, who loves you and is always with you wherever you go, always. And what gives you stress or grief or pain? Jesus is there to walk with you through it all and, and to give you an inner strength that you never knew you had. And the truth is, is you never did have that strength to begin with. Any strength that comes, it comes from Jesus. It comes from what he gives. And to do what? Well, really to do what might be the unthinkable at times. Or to do what looked to be, what may look to be too much for us to do. But Jesus is there, and He overcomes our darkness. I read a book this past week um, by author Rick Berg, and some of you know who Rick Berg is. He's actually been here; he has been with us a few times. And the book is entitled "Looking Ahead," and it deals with end of life uh, scenarios and and is has story after story that is that is written with, or that he has within the pages of his book and it, that uh, speak to overcoming by realized hope and, and one story was of a lady who had called Rick asking if he could visit her dying husband in the hospital uh, he felt he needed to speak uh, about a few things and, and Rick agreed it was a small community and he knew his man or he knew the man and his name was Peter And so when Rick arrived at Peter's bedside, eventually Peter arrived at this point in discussion to share what his darkness was that was robbing him of of peace, that was robbing him of hope. And Rick asked, well, what's going on, Peter? What's on your heart? And he said, I did something really terrible over 20 years ago. Where I stole another man's wife. Now, it was a small community, and, and Rick was aware of that history. It had taken place before he arrived there, and Rick asked, well, is there something that you would like from me that would help you through this? And there was silence, and, and Peter could only cry. And finally, though, Peter spoke up. He says, I'd like to tell John that I'm sorry. Well, then do it. It's just that I'm so scared. And so then Rick said, well, would you like for me to call him for you? And Peter was good that, good with that. So Rick called John to tell him what was going on with Peter and what Peter was hoping for, and it came as no surprise, really, that John wasn't overly enthusiastic over Peter's hope in being able to talk with him. But John did agree, and the next day he went to Peter's bedside and they talked. And listen here, uh, not every scenario, whether it bears resemblance to a story of forgiveness such as this one, turns out rosy. But when you choose to walk in the light, and to live by the cross of Jesus, where only Jesus, who is the way and the truth, matters, you will be able to do the unthinkable and the seemingly impossible. You will be able to do those things. And Peter poured out his heart to John, and he apologized. And John told him that he forgave him and said, I'm not perfect either. And then the very next day, Peter passed away. So, we all have different things that, we deal with, we all go through different experiences and, and perhaps have different things that are going through our heart and our mind. But in light of that, in the light of our all-surpassing, powerful God here, what next steps might God be calling you to take? Uh, they might seem as big steps to you and the outcome might look as impossible as our Buckwalds friend's hope or mission in bringing love to New York City. But really, what is impossible for our God? And how do we lose hope? How is it that we lose hope? I think we lose hope by taking one step at a time. A step at a time in this way, through each decision to refrain from walking or taking steps in the light of the cross of Jesus. And for us, the cross is salvation, not just a one-time thing, a one-time lifetime event, but rather it's this ongoing embodied process of mending the fabric of our brokenness And that can include, that can be, that can relate to our relationships or it can relate to something undealt with in our spirit. But the cross is our hope because it's about Jesus who overcomes so that you and I can overcome, so that you and I can find and rest in his love and be given all hope and with what ails us, the darkness fades because Jesus is near and we know him, we feel him and we're at peace because it's no longer that old me that lives it's no longer the old me the old me has been crucified with christ it is no longer i who live but christ who lives in me so with that what will your next step what will your next step be you can take it and god's going to grant you the strength he will do that and it may mean talking with someone for support and however that support strength or encouragement comes ultimately it all comes from god and god has it all for us He will fill our cup to give us the fortitude to take whatever our next step must be. Amen? Well, let's stand together. and Let's conclude our time in singing, Fill My Cup, Lord. I'm going to ask if Darlene will help me with that one.